Hallelujah. 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 Glory to God. Hallelujah. We worship you, Lord. We praise you, Lord. Lord, we just move among us, Lord. Hallelujah. We worship you, Lord. Hallelujah. Be glorified this morning, Lord. Father, minister to us. Minister to us. We come before you with thanksgiving, with adoration, worshiping and praising the Lord of the heavens and the Lord of the earth. And acknowledging, Lord, that we all we are broken, all of us, just by virtue of being alive, born, broken. Born again into the new life. So Lord, I pray that Your Word be brought forth. Father, bringing more grace to the hearers. That we may know and experience whatever it is that you have for us as individuals here this morning. Father, some of us have forgotten that we were broken. Some of us have never really realized how broken we are to the extent, Lord, that we've never really humbled ourselves at the foot of your cross. So, Lord, I pray if that description fits any of us this morning, Father, that You would grab us. That You would bring conviction this morning. We would be humbled and submit ourselves. Father, wanting for this reconciliation that we so need, but can't happen until we meet You at the foot of the cross humbly acknowledging our brokenness. Even though we seem to have it all just lined up, even though things just seem to be going our way as it were, we're not experiencing hardships, heartaches, heartbreaks. Or maybe we are and don't know how to quite get it done and that's because we can't, Lord. So I pray also those of us who are experiencing a season of brokenness, Lord, we can't get it right. We still are feeling guilty and shameful. Father, help us, those of us who are in that state, in that season, to remember when we left it at the foot of the cross, that's exactly where it stayed. No longer do we need to carry the guilt or the shame And I wish whatever that noise is would absolutely stop. In Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Father, I pray for the rest of the time that we're together. Father, that You have all of our attention. Father, that we just, right now, despite what may be going on around us, despite the thoughts that the enemy or our own flesh tries to bring to us during this, the rest of your service, Father, that you have control.
Father, that you have our attention. Father, in Jesus' name, that hearts and lives are changed. Healing is, is, is just beginning for some. And Father, that a new walk is there for all. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Listen, I... I let's, uh, let's get into this before I start preaching a whole other message here. Um, um, we're going to continue in the seven churches. Today, the church is at uh, Pergamos. This is the message. I'm going to begin. I'm, I'll read, and then we'll break it down as usual. In chapter 2, verse 12, And to the angel of the church in Pergamos write, These things says he who has the sharp two-edged sword. I know your works and where you dwell, where, Saint, where Satan's uh, throne is. And you hold fast to my name and did not deny my faith, even in the days in which Antipas, my faithful martyr, who was killed among you, where Satan dwells. But I have a few things against you, because you have there are those who hold the doctrine of Balaam, who taught Balak to, to put a stumbling block before the children of Israel, to eat things sacrificed to idols, and to commit sexual immorality. Thus you also have those who hold the doctrine of the Nicolaitans, which, I, which thing I hate. Repent, or else I will come to you quickly, and I will fight against them with the sword of my mouth. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will give some the hidden manna, some of the hidden manna to eat. And I will give him a white stone, and on the stone a new name written, which no one knows except him who receives it. Hallelujah. Father, please give us revelation today as individuals in Jesus' name. Amen. So we'll, we'll begin to break this down. Now there's some things that are common to all the churches. And as usual, my brothers and sisters, when he says this is a message to all the churches, this isn't just a message to that particular church, although was it specifically, again, I know I'm repeating, was it specifically a message to that church in that time? Absolutely yes. But then he says, send it to the churches of all time. It doesn't speak geography or chronology. It's beyond geography or chronology. Amen? Alright, so let's break it down. In verse 12, And to the angel of the church bars write these things, says, He who has the sharp two-edged sword. Now, many of you are going to know this, but for the sake of some of you who maybe have forgotten or it's been a long time, or even, as it were, the uh, people who may be listening, who may, may have never known this, I want to remind you of what it says in Revelation 1, beginning in verse 13. And in the midst of the... Now remember, this is when Jesus first appeared to John. John on the, banished on the island of Patmos. He was in the, in the Spirit on the Lord's day. And then something happened. What happened? The Lord re, uh, revealed Himself to him. The Lord appeared to him. And in the midst of the seven lampstands, one like the Son of Man, clothed with a garment down to the feet, and girded about the chest with a golden band. His head and hair were white like wool, as white as snow. And his eyes were like flame of fire. His feet were like fine brass as if refined in a furnace. And his voice as the sound of many waters. He had in his right hand uh, seven stars. Out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword. And his countenance was like the sun shining in its strength. So Jesus, listen to the way John describes him. And he says, out of his mouth was like a sharp two-edged sword. My brothers and sisters, that does not mean that there was a sword sticking out of his mouth. As silly as that may sound, John is describing something. What's he describing? Well, let's go ahead and continue to study. In Ephesians six seventeen. here's what it says. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. My brothers and sisters, there's no question. We know what this two-edged sword is. Again, to further back that up, Hebrews 
4.12, For the Word of God is living and powerful, quick and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, uh, piercing even to the vision of soul and spirit and the joints of marrow and is a discern of the thoughts and intents of the heart. This Word of God, not just, listen, not just the words that Jesus spoke. The words that Jesus spoke, yes, but He is the living Word. But this written Word that we have, the Word of God, this Word is so powerful. Listen, let me ask you something. How did God create things? By the Word. He spoke it and it existed. That's how this thing happened. Young men, young women, if you're still in school, they're trying to teach you otherwise, they are wrong. They are wrong. Oh, the Big Bang. Well, okay, if there were a bunch of gases that got together and exploded and caused everything to spin out exactly, perfectly, to give us exactly what we see and experience in this physical realm right now, what caused the gases to accumulate? Come on now. Everything had to have a beginning. And the Bible tells us very, very, very clearly and succinctly what that was. In the beginning, God... Hallelujah. Now, someone ought to get a little more excited about that than just me. Come on. In the beginning, God. There is no doubt. Now, we'll prove it, Tony. Prove it didn't happen that way. Prove it, Tony. Prove it didn't happen that way. Well, the Big Bang. I'm going to go back to it. Okay. What was before the Big Bang? God. Hallelujah. Man, I... Church, I'm on it. I've just, um, you know, we have to stop being so shy and timid. But don't be a, I'm going to use another theological term on you, but don't be a jerk about it. We have to stop being so shy and timid. If you believe that God created the heavens and the earth, then don't be shy about it. And those who think that you're dumb or you're uneducated or whatever the case may be, tell them to prove it. They cannot. You can't prove fact with theory. And that's all they have. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So listen, in Revelation 19-15, don't go there, just listen to me. This is what it says about Jesus. Now out of His mouth goes a sharp sword that with it He should strike down the nations. That's, that's speaking of that time when Jesus truly does come back. And we come back with Him. His saints riding with Him. Those saints that were up in the rapture of the church, we're going to come back with Him when He comes again. Not as the Savior of the world, but as the Judge of the world. When we come back with Him and He steps foot on that mountain, He's going to speak the Word. That judgment is going to come out of His mouth. And with that, He will knock down, strike down the nations just by the Word of His mouth. That same powerful Word that spoke everything that we see into existence is that same power for word that is spoken and slays the nations, the goat nations, those who have lined themselves against him. Oh, hallelujah. That's how powerful that should And see, there's no doubt. We don't have to guess about what this means. Well, John saw this. What does it mean? The Bible tells us exactly what it means. Amen? So now let's go back to Revelation 2. And here's in 13, it starts these commendations. In 13, I know your works and where you dwell, where Satan's throne is, and you hold fast to my name and did not deny my faith even in the days in which Antipas, my faithful martyr, who was killed among you, where Satan dwells. My brothers and sisters, remember, I just again, 
Uh, I, look at what he's speaking. He, Jesus. In, effect, in Ephesus we study, Christ tells him he knows their works, their labor, their patience. In Smyrna last week, he tells him he knows of their works, their tribulation, their poverty. And now today, we see in, in, in very clearly, I know your works, where you dwell, and, and that you're holding fast to my name. Well, you know, what does that mean to us? What does that mean to us? It's the same. He knows exactly your situation right now. He knows exactly what you're thinking. He knows exactly what you're doing. He knows exactly where you are geographically and spiritually. He knows everything about us. Everything. He knows. So, so look, and Jesus is speaking out to these churches just like He is speaking out to you and to me today. So no matter where you find yourself today, you could be in a season of, you know, well, it's doom and gloom, but things aren't looking good. It, Jesus knows you're there. And he, listen, and it came to pass. Four of the best words that I know of in the Bible. It came to pass. It's going to pass. It's not going to stay that way. So if you're experiencing some physical difficulties, if you're experiencing some emotional difficulties, if there's trouble in relationships, no matter where you are, or it could be you're on the mountaintop, it could be you're experiencing great things, and, and it could be you're about to make a decision, a very important decision, Jesus knows what decision you need to make. He knows that you're in a position. So my brothers and sisters, don't li- listen, don't say, oh, I wonder if He's going to answer. I wonder if Jesus... No, you, don't, you can have confidence. When I read Scriptures like this, this preaches to me, Tony, I know exactly where you are. I will never leave you or forsake you. Listen, I know exactly where you are. Yeah, you might not... I might, I've been there. Lord, speak to me. Lord, give me this answer. Sometimes the answer is wait. And Tony, I've made this confession to you. Sometimes Tony got ahead of God. He got a little impatient. Did not want to wait and moved according to his own intellect. Moved according to what seemed right. And it always ends up a very learning experience. Let's put it to you that way. Hallelujah. Sometimes Tony still has to learn the hard way. Hard knocks and bumps. Amen? Somebody better say amen because I know I'm not the only one. Hallelujah. And then I'm going to say to you what I say to my children and now to my children's children. Learn from my mistakes. Don't have to make the same ones. You'll make some new and different ones all on your own. Amen? All right. So listen to the preacher this morning. Hallelujah. But this is a great thing. He'll never leave you, forsake you. He knows exactly every detail of what's going on. And he is, listen, his grace is sufficient. Amen? Okay, so let's look at where Satan's throne is. Where Satan's throne is. He's the prince and the power of the air. Well, we know all of these things and all, all of these little catchphrases, all these little things we like to say, which are true. But, but this specifically, he's saying where his throne is. Not that just he lives there, but this is where his throne is. So, so let's, you know, what could that mean? Well, if you look at the place and, and, and all of the studying and all of the reading that I'm, um, I'm doing or have done on this particular place, in Pergamos, it was like, uh, that was uh, huge Greek influence there. Huge Greek influence. Initially, there were, there, that's where, um, oh gosh, uh, Zeus. They had a huge monument to Zeus there and all the other Greek mythical gods and all this other stuff. There were many gods that they had um, uh, these... these um, pagan style worship thingies set up, you know, all these idols and all this other stuff and superstitions. Also, um, Eclipsius or Eclipius is the, is, 
I'm gonna, I know I can't stand this Greek stuff. Asclepius was this god of, of, of medicine. Also, uh, that was uh, where um, Hippocrates... I mean, you have all of this... So you have this hub, if you will, of culture and, and intellectual, this, this, this place of the, of the intellects and, and this high degree. They even had a huge... At that time, the, um, of the biggest library there was there at one time until Mark Antony gave it uh, to Cleopatra to take back to Egypt. But at one time... So this Pergamos was this hub. And then later in history, it became... Uh, uh, you know, uh, the Romans started to have influence there as well. So you had the Hellenists or the Greek influence culturally and superstitiously you're with their fake gods and all this other stuff and these, these thrones and all of these idols set up for their worship. And then you also had this seat of the intellectuals, these thinkers, and this library that's, that was said to have some 200,000 volumes. Now, that's a lot. Even in my time, it's... But think about this. 200,000 volumes means that's all handwritten. There was no printing press then. So all of that was handwritten. All of those books, all of those volumes were handwritten. So this was the biggest library, the biggest... And so, my brothers and sisters, you could see, culturally, oh gosh, you had the influence of the Greeks, and then the Romans, and then anybody else who was traveling. You also had, again, the intellectual effect, the superstition or these gods effect. So this is, I think, this is, te- is showing us... Now, what, one thing that the Romans did, they kind of married the... Um, the worship of Caesar. That was the first place they, they actually built some kind of an altar or some kind of a, an idol towards Caesar. And you started worshiping the, um, the Roman king and Rome itself even. There were even mon- a monument to Roma, this queen or this Rome itself. So you had all of these things married and intermingled. But because that stuff was so prevalent and they had these monuments and these, this throne and the, all of this stuff set up, I think that's why our Lord is referring to that as the throne of Satan. So you're so now think about that. You have all of this going on. All of these cultures, all of these intellectual, these schools of thought, all of these ways of life. Again, these high pardon me, these highly educated people and these all these and so now you have this little old church sitting there. Wow. And so that's Jesus is recognizing that. My brothers and sisters this morning when I was considering all this, I, I said to Michelle, you know, this church, Pergamos, reminds me the most of where we are. It just reminds me the most. This is ministering to us. Oh, but there's so many big churches and there's X amount of Christians in the United States and blah, blah, blah. No. There's His church. I'm not talking about church buildings or all the people who go to churches. I'm talking about His church. We've got this, um, this United States of America which has become the melting pot for all cultures and, and all religions and all trains of thought and intellect and these great schools of thought and this higher learning and all of this other stuff that's available to everyone. No matter what they're telling you, it's available to everyone. And so here we are in the midst of all of this and we have to be His church. Amen? Amen? So now, he, get, you know, he talks about these commendations even in the middle of all of this, you've not denied my name. So when, it says, when he says you've not denied my name, what does that mean? That they're not afraid to name the name of Jesus? Or they're not afraid to stand on a street corner and say, Jesus is Lord? What does that mean? 
Does it mean that? Yes, it does mean that. But listen, my brothers and sisters, the name is powerful. There is no other name, right? By which any, every, any, every man must be saved. There is no other name. Everything was made uh, for him, by him, by who, Jesus. There is no other name beside him. There is no other name above him. There is no other name. But my brothers and sisters, I've said this to you before. I have friends, Hispanic friends, who have the name Jesus. Uh, that doesn't make them the Son of God. Amen. Now, I'm not trying to be silly or flippant. So please hear what I have to say. When God is saying, you, don't, you have not denied my name, that means you're living like me. You're living according to the example that I set. See, the power is in the name because of the life that He led. Oh, come on! The power is in that name because of the life that He led. Because He was true to the will of God. Because He lived it. He spoke it. Everything He spoke, He spoke under the unction of God. Everything that He did, He did because God told Him to do it. Amen? The power is because of the life. My brothers and sisters, we have to be... Listen, we can't just name His name across our lips. It will not mean anything unless that life means something to us. And that life has to mean enough to us where we're trying to imitate Him. Man. Hallelujah. I, I was good preaching right there. I, we could, uh, yeah, that w- okay, so now let's continue. Now we're going to the warnings. Verse 14. But I have a few things against you because you have there those who hold the doctrine of Balaam who taught Balak to put a stumbling block before the children of Israel, to eat things sacrificed to idols, and to commit sexual immorality. So my brothers and sisters, as we look at this, there's, there's, now many of us remember Balaam, right? We, we, he was a prophet uh, in the Old Testament. And, uh, you know, I want to say, let's, let's first talk about false teachers. Is it, is it about false teachers? Yes, absolutely it is about false teachers. Amen. And, in, and even in Second uh, Peter, which I'm going to, it'll be up there in a moment. You'll see part of uh, what we mean to give you. Look, this is not Tony's opinion. This is for real. If you look in Second Peter two fifteen, this is now the Apostle Peter, the Holy Spirit speaking through him. The subject matter, or to give you context, he's talking about these false teachers and these t- people that are following false teachers. They have forsaken the right way. They have forsaken the right way and have gone astray, following the way of Balaam, the son of Beor, who loved the wages of unrighteousness. So watch. They're following the way of Balaam. So the, the, the wrong way that they're going is the way that Balaam allowed or the Balaam taught or that Balaam hinted to, right? Okay. So Balaam was a, a false teacher in the... In, in the in the, in the sense that he allowed the people to be influenced by a false influence or by evil. Let me say it that way. But one thing about Balaam, if you read the account of Balaam, now, you study this later, I really wish you would, beginning in Numbers chapter 22, and I think going to chapter 24, if I made a note, yes I did. It's chapter 22 through 24, you see this account of Balaam. What Balaam did, when, when, the, when the king went to him, the king of the Moabites and the Midianites, they were kind of together, but when the king of the Moabites went to him, as he saw the armies of Israel amassing, he saw the children of Israel amassing, and he thought they were going to be next even though God told them not to touch the Moabites, 
they thought that this king thought he was be next. And so what he did, he, Balak, he said, I'm going to go get this seer. I'm going to go get this guy who has the ability to put curses on people. And that was Balaam. And I'm going to get him to put a curse on them. And what Balaam did when he sent all of his men there three times, I guess it was, but when he sent his princes there to go and entice Balaam to come, he said, even if you were to give me your house and filled with silver and gold, I still cannot say what God doesn't tell me to say. Did you hear that? So he knew what was right. Just saying. Put that in the back of your mind. In the middle. He knew what was right. Okay? But he loved the money and the power more. He was willing to trade it. So it tells us it's this, this doctrine. If you look at uh, what Paul, what Peter said, I, excuse me, the right way, gone astray, following the way of Balaam, following the doctrine of Balaam. In Revelation, it's it, it said in our out of our scripture today, the doctrine of Balaam, as we read in Second Peter, he says out of the uh, the way of Balaam. So what is that? Well, if you look back in Revelation two, we still have that up there. Who taught, here we go, who taught Balak to put a stumbling block before the children of Israel to eat things sacrificed to idols and to commit sexual morality. So this is doctrine or the way. What he did was he ministered to the king. He couldn't, when God, when he made sacrifices to the Lord, the Lord gave him a message. And when the Lord gave him the words to say, it was a pronunciation of a blessing on Israel. Every time. And the king, Balak, he was, he was just totally dismayed. He wanted something. He wanted, hey, what is this? Every time I tell you to go up there and put a curse on them, you're giving them more blessing. But somewhere along the line, Balaam was able to go ahead and tell Balak, if you want them to be cursed, you're going to have to get them to do it themselves. And he told them how to do it. He told them how to do it. You could find that in um, Numbers 25. Probably if you read about verses 1 through 6 or 9 in that range, please, if I'm off a little bit, don't get mad at me, but... Definitely in Numbers 25. But then you also see again in Numbers 31.16. It will give you proof because Moses is totally aggravated with the, the men of Israel and he tells them you know, what the cause of their downfall always is. And what he did was he told them if you get the most beautiful Moabitess woman and you send them into the camp of the Israelites, if you let them, the Israelites are going to intermarry with the Moabite women and they're going to violate God's word. Once they violate God's word, they're living separate from God and they're living out of the blessing of God. They've now brought the curse on or removed the blessing from them themselves. Why? Because they chose to be unequally yoked. They chose to be unequally yoked. They chose to go ahead and marry outside of God's kingdom. They chose to go ahead and marry the world. And when they married the world, they received some other products, some other baggage, and all of the other things that came with the wife of the world. Now for you women, this isn't all about just men making sure they pick the right bride. You women better make sure you pick the right hubby. I am so sick and tired. I may not perform another wedding ceremony. And I don't, I'm not saying this lightly and I'm not trying to be put on a show for you. I'm just telling you. I, you know, my, I've, 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 there's a number of 
women that have come to me, oh, and telling me about, through the years now, telling me about this man that they met, and blah, blah, blah. And, and it's like the same thing I do with my grandchildren, all of my grandchildren. They tell me about this friend, this, whether it be the opposite sex friend or whatever. The first thing I say, are they a Christian? And I think I say it so much, they're immune to it now. But why do I say that? Because I know when you're keeping that company, when you're yoked up, that something bad is going to happen. You all know, I'm going to change them. No, you're not going to change them. You're going to compromise to keep that relationship intact. And, not, and then you're not going to get them to start... They're not going to all of a sudden become a believer because they're in your company. But what are you going to have to do to stay in their company? My brothers and sisters, this is us. This is, this is the way of Balaam. This is the way of Balaam. And it's not just about having physical relations with somebody. This is about business relations. This is just about having friendship. This is just spending time with those people. But inevitably I have these women who, oh, I met the, you know, this guy, blah, blah, blah. There was a, when I was up in Carolina, I had this secretary who was a born-again Christian. You know, we ministered together some of the... But man, there was a guy on our staff that was uh, a lead guy, one of our lead guys, who was definitely not a Christian. Nice guy. Very nice guy. Loved him to bits and pieces and just a really good guy. You know, he was a biker, which doesn't mean anything. You could be a Christian and be a biker, so I don't mean to say that or imply it. But I just know this, that when they were having those biker conventions and all this, the Sturgis and all this, he went and he participated. Okay? So that's between him and his... But I'm, here's what I'm saying to you. Well, she ended up having a relationship with this. I'm not saying physical. I'm just saying they started dating. And I told her, this is not good. This is not good. She thought she was going to change him. N- no, it's not good. It's not good. And it didn't end up good. So my brothers and sisters, look, and it's not, again, I know that I've used that as an example here a couple of times as it relates to relationships of the opposite sex. It's not that. It's we marry the world, the world's habits, the, the culture of the world. Man, I am so sick, and, and, and I know I'm going to make some of you mad. I am, I know I am. I am so sick and tired of seeing pastors and preachers get up in front of congregations with ripped jeans, piercings everywhere, and tattoos. I'm sick of it. Am I saying they should be disqualified from preaching the gospel? No, but what I am, I, I need to ask, why? Why? If we're supposed to come out from among the world, if we're not supposed to be like that, well, is it wrong? Is it sin? Well, I'm not going to say whether it's sin or not. But here's what I'm going to ask you. How does it glorify God? When I live, it's to live as God. When I live, it's to glorify God. The things that I do, in all the things that I, should, that I do, it should be glorifying God. Well, Tony, don't you got to work? Yes, and I'm supposed to work every day as I'm working unto the Lord. Well, Tony, I mean, you're married. Yeah, yeah I'm married, and I'm supposed to treat my wife like Christ treats the church. Yeah, but you know, when you have started having kids, and you got them in the world, and you got all this stuff that you... Fathers, we just had a baby dedication last week. We charged people and we charged each other in the presence of God to live like Jesus lived, to pursue God and to do things the godly way. Is that the way the world does it? No! No. Well, then what harm is it, Tony, just to put... Why do I want to... So that's saying that that culture is having a lot of influence on me. I'm so sick and tired of seeing 
Christian women wearing shorty shorts. Come, now, listen, I know I'm going to make everybody mad at me. I am. Well, Tony, what are we supposed to do? Wear them down to our knees? Yeah! Cover it up. The Holy Spirit, through the Apostle, gave very specific instructions in Timothy. Be modest. Be modest. Men, be modest. Don't be obnoxious. Be godly. Man, wait, how did I get here? Man, it's getting hot in here. You know, you know how I got here? I know how. We're, we're taking the way of Balaam. Why? We're, we're halfway, we're yoked up with the world and we're giving ourselves to per- permission to do it. And you know what's bad about it? Balaam knew what was right. He knew what was right. It didn't turn out good for him. Hallelujah. But he did it anyway, my brothers and sisters. That stumbling lock that he put before Israel, he taught Balak to put a stumbling lock before the children of Israel to eat things sacrificed to idols and to commit sexual morality. My brothers and sisters, me as your minister, as your pastor, you as the, as the leader in your home, whether you're a mom, whether you're a dad, listen, you as the spiritual leader in your home, young woman, young woman, Young women, there are, young, there are women who are younger than you. You should be an example. I can't teach that way. I can't put a stumbling block before anybody. Now, I know, my brothers and sisters, that that's how you fill, you fill churches that way. Conforming a little bit with the culture so that people feel comfortable. So you can get them in, right? You can get them in. They feel comfortable coming to you. I'm not stupid. Okay? I'm not, I'm not dumb. And I'm not old and, you know, all of that stuff has passed me by. I'm not old. I'm just an old-timey preacher. got a lot of gray in my hair. i got a lot less hair. I'm not old and it's just, no, and it's all beyond me. Jesus Christ, the same. Yesterday, today, and forever. We may change, but He never changes. His Word is the same. It is absolutely the same. So what He said back then, He absolutely means now. Absolutely means it. Come out from among them. So now watch. So what am I supposed to do? So, so you're telling me in order to have a successful church, in order to fill seats, I should be a fraud? I should do a bait and switch? Isn't that what they're doing? No. Sometimes yes, Glenn. Sometimes yes. Most of the time no. You know why? Because they get them in that way and they keep them in that way. We can't do that, my brothers and sisters. We didn't come. Listen, we're supposed to be the ones that are different. And when you come to Christ, you're supposed to change. Not be the same as everybody else. And, and, and listen, and just by me saying this, there are some, my critics or critics of the truth, would say, well, see, that's intolerance, it's blah, blah, blah. I'm not saying, my brothers and sisters, that anybody outside the church who's living that way, they're not worthy of my love. They're not. Jesus died for them. I was out there before. And He died for me when I was out there. But it was incumbent upon me to come in. To come in. Come in and change. Allow this power to change me. Amen? Amen? incumbent upon me because now I have this I have this newness 
I have this other way that my eyes, the scales have been removed from my eyes. I see that love poured out for me on the cross. So now I need to, I, I'm going a different way. I can no longer go the way of Balaam. I can see those stumbling blocks now. Oh, that's good. I hope you broke. Listen, now I could see those stumbling blocks that that way, that doctrine, that theology. I could see those stumbling blocks now. Why? Because the Lord Jesus, through his, his, his mercy and grace at the cross and through the infilling of His Holy Spirit, now I could start seeing those blinders have been removed. I've got some spiritual eyes to see and those, those same stumbling blocks will not trip me up. Hallelujah! I, I, I love this one too. He, he, and, it, and I told you that we'd come back to this because this was also mentioned in the church of Ephesus. Uh, in verse 15, Thus you also have those who hold the doctrine of the Nicolaitans, which thing I hate. So remember, we know that this doctrine of the Nicolaitans is something that the Lord can't stand. And this doctrine, my brothers and sisters, here's, here's what we need to remember. Listen up. He's talking to the church. He's talking to that church then, and he's talking to us now, right? right? So, so let's look just really by way of. So he's saying, you're allowing this doctrine or this way of Balaam to remain amongst you, and now he's saying that there are those among you who who have this teaching. They have this doctrine. They hold the doctrine of the Nicolaitans. So again, this is part of their church, their congregation. This is what the Lord is pointing out. So now the Nicolaitans, as much as I could study and read about them, no one could say, this is absolute and this is it. But Arrhenius, who was a disciple of Polycarp, who was a disciple of John, the Revelator, he wrote of the Nicolaitans that they were, they were truly of the deacon uh, Nicholas. But they had this, they were like a, they became a little branch of Gnosticism. Uh, Arrhenius, he wrote, and he just absolutely tore up the Gnostics in his day. He was a dev- he was a devout, sure again, born again Christian disciple of Polycarp, disciple, and they and Polycarp and him both were martyred. And so he was he was absolutely sold out, born again, all about Jesus Christ and the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he spent a lot of his time exposing the Gnostics and the Gnostic gospels as being false. And so he also wrote of these Nicolaitans. And the most I can get in the reading that I've gotten is so far is that the Nicolaitans were this extreme kind of grace movement where it didn't matter anymore uh, because you were free in Christ Jesus. You didn't have to worry about the law anymore. Which in and of itself, if you just look at it at face value, that is true. Jesus fulfilled the law, but here's the thing. You have to be in Christ in order for that law to be fulfilled in you. Right? Okay, and, and, and listen, Jesus says, if you're with me, you're going to do what I ask you to do. If you're with me, you're going to look like me. Amen. Very simple. That's Tony language. I just broke it down for you. But you can read, and, you, and if you don't get that, then you're reading the wrong Bible. I'm just telling you. You need to look like him and to be in him. My brothers and sisters, you say, well, I have Christ in me. That's okay. Are you in him? Are you in him? Are you walking? Man, my brothers and sisters, I want to jump up and down right now. So you have this doctrine of the Nicolaitans. This is so... Think about this. This extreme... They thought that anything went now because they were under grace. 
Jesus died for their sins and that gave them license to experience all of the uh, sensual pleasures and anything went. That's, that's what they thought. And that's what they taught. Hmm. Have I heard that before? Why, yes I did. And then anybody like me who brings it up, well, don't judge me. I'm not. I am not your judge. However, the Word does judge you. And listen, you can be warned now or you can be struck down later. The Word can convict you right now and it can cause you to go to the foot of the cross and and ask Jesus, you can go to repentance or you can go ahead and stay haughty and go ahead and think that you can have your cake and eat it too. Oh, I named the name of Jesus. I got saved. I was baptized in water. And I'm good. And, and, and all my sins are under the blood, past, present, and future. Okay. That's not what the Scripture says. That's not what the Scripture teaches. My brothers and sisters, so we have these things happening right now. But so now, in the, in the case of the Nicolaitans here, and I'm, and I'm thinking, Lord, why did you break it down that way? If they're all false teachers or false doctrines or whatever, why did you break it down that way? Here's why. I really believe that the Lord uh, is, is letting us recognize that there are some people who are in error. But the Nicolaitans, they believe what they, they, believe, what they believe is true. I really believe that when Joseph Prince says that gr- radical grace means there's no, you never have to repent again, I really believe that in his heart he believes that. And I believe that he don't think that he's teaching error. But he may not be reading some of these scriptures that I'm reading, and I pray for him, we should pray for him, and, and other teachers who teach that. And all of the other teachers that I've ran into uh, time and time again through my walk with God, through my journey, who tried to convince me that, no, 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 once you're saved, you're always saved. There's not absolutely nothing you can ever do, blah, 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 because it's you know, through faith, it's grace, faith, by works, there's no works. Work. I can't do the first work with God or for God without God. With God, I am called to the works. Amen? James covers it very clearly and succinctly. Okay, so I know we know all this. I don't want to preach again at you these same things. But my brothers and sisters, this is very clear. This is very easily understood. But there's a problem. God, Nicolaitans, and then you Balaam. Why too? Because there are those who know better. There are those who know better. You've been convicted... You've been convicted, but you're doing it anyway. And worse than that, you're allowing your open sin to be a stumbling block to others. You justify some of the things that you do and say, I'm going to talk to some of you parents right now. Might as well make everybody mad at me. Listen, you know, you could talk about love all you want to, but when you, are, when you are wrathful with your spouse, when you just absolutely fly off the handle, when you, listen, when you, you could tell your, your, your kids all about not lying, but when you get that phone call, and, oh, tell them I'm not here. Come on, my, my brothers and sisters, listen, this is not all about parents. We all are guilty of some of these things. But if we know these things and we continue to do them, we're not just, my brothers and sisters, we're just not hurting ourselves, but we're becoming a stumbling block to some of those around us. And you wonder why they won't follow you to church. That's why. Boy, it's a little quiet, man. 
I wonder if uh, Joe Flung Fluey at home drinking his coffee is still hearing or he just tuned me right out. I bet you they just shut this thing off so fast. I knew I shouldn't have turned that little guy on. What am I doing? So look what he says to them. Repent or else I will come to you quickly and will fight against them with the sword of my mouth. The same judgment that's coming on those nations is the same judgment that's going to come on you. My brothers and sisters, he can't violate his word. And he's not going to make any exceptions. Look, look, look. You know what he's saying to this church? You need to make these corrections in your church. See, because the same people, he's saying this to people who he's saying, you haven't denied my name. You know, you're living in the middle of this Satan's throne room, you're living right there, this little old church, and you haven't denied my name. But here's some things you need to straighten out. Why? You're allowing these teachings in your church, in your congregation. My brothers and sisters, if I say anything to somebody that's a little bit convicting sometimes, if I have to go one-on-one, oh man, they want to fight. I've had people leave this church because they didn't think I was talking to people enough. That we didn't make some corrections. They looked at what you, some of you guys were doing. They didn't think that I was making a correction. They're gone. Somebody tell me I'm a liar. But we can't allow it. This is, what, this is what the Spirit of the Lord, this is what the Lord Himself is saying to this church. You need to make these corrections. My brothers and sisters, I can't tell you that in the New Testament, under grace, anything goes. Oh, it's okay. No, it's not okay. But here's what is okay. That you acknowledge that what you've done or what you've said is offensive to God. You understand that conviction of the Holy Spirit. And when as soon as that Holy Spirit convicts you, you don't get mad at the messenger. You don't get mad. at When you get tweaked, you just say, Lord, forgive me. That's, he was talking. Lord, thank you. And you know what? Lord, I know that that wasn't that little Italian guy right then. I know you're speaking to me. Come on! Amen. We have to be in that place where we can be humble. We can have humility. Enough to know that God is speaking to us. And God is trying to, God is trying to get us back. Get us back to where He needs us to be so that His church can continue to grow and prosper. We don't become stumbling blocks. And we look at this situation and it speaks volumes. Make these corrections. Don't allow this wild grace teaching to, to, to totally infiltrate everybody's hearts and minds so that we don't care how we live. You know, don't go ahead and marry the world. Don't go ahead and invite the culture and all of the the latest and greatest intellectual theory, all the latest and greatest technology come in there and infiltrate this church, this body, who gets, listen, who gets the mind of Christ, not the mind of the world, not the latest and greatest technology, and that's what governs our lives. No, it's His mind, His Word. This mind, let this mind that was in Christ also be in you. Hallelujah. Amen. Hallelujah. So look, repent or else I'll come to you quickly. Repent. Make the change. Make the change. If there's this among you in your congregation, fix it. Clean it up. Clean it up. Fix it. So let's continue now. We're going to wrapping this up now. In conclusion here. Verse 17. He who has an ear, just like he said, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. 
If you don't care about what God says, you're not going to really take heed to any of this. To him who overcomes, I will give some of the hidden manna to eat. And I will give him a white stone, and on that stone a new name written which no one knows except he who receives it. My brothers and sisters, Jesus said very plain, in, in John chapter 6, it was one of those times Jesus just fed all of those thousands of people. And then he sends his disciples across the, uh, the uh, lake, or the, 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 yeah, the lake, and he goes to the other side. The people get up and they're looking for Jesus all over the place. They can't find him. Then we get to the other side. Wait, Jesus, we were looking all over for you. He said, you look for me because your bellies were full. Not because of the miracles and the signs. Not the supernatural. You look for me because of the natural. And then he goes into this and he says that he was, he was sent down from God. And so the Jews that were around that heard him say, give us a sign so that we'll know you're from God. But then he get into this discourse that he is the true bread sent down from heaven. Because they said about Moses. See, Moses did a sign. Moses made, God, uh, through Moses, uh, made manna come down from heaven. Jesus said, I am the true bread from heaven. I am the true bread from heaven. So my brothers and sisters, I'm not going to read it to you, but it's in John 6. Look it, look it up in John 6. So my brothers and sisters, so here is Jesus saying, I'm the bread. So Jesus is saying to, to us and to the church at Pergamos, to whom who overcomes, I'll give some of the hidden manna to eat. You're going to get more of Jesus. You're going to get more of this stuff that is, it's not even, we're not even there yet. There's such depth to this gospel that we don't even understand totally and fully yet. But we're going to get it when we overcome. We'll see him face to face. For now we know in part, but then face to face. Amen? My brothers and sisters, I can't wait for... Think about the, the, the great things that the Lord has done in you and for you. And think about some of the most precious times that you have had spiritually, supernaturally with the Lord. It's not even compare to what happens when we see Him face to face. Hallelujah. To He who overcomes. And He talks about the overcomer in 1 John. The overcomer is that one who loves God's people. And the way that you love God's people proves that you love God. And if you love God, you do His commandments. And those are the ones who are overcome. How? By your faith. Read it in 1 John. My brothers and sisters, this Bible explains itself so clearly. So succinctly. There is no guessing. God has told us. He's not trying to hide it from us. But then look what else He says. And I will give Him a white stone, and on the stone a new name written, which no one knows except Him who receives it. Now, this could be an allusion to that culture, that time when they had those Roman games and all this other stuff. I've read it that you know, uh, the leaders would throw out these stones with things written on them. And whatever that person received, it could be a, uh, a ticket to a dinner or, or it could be like some kind of an item or something that they would receive for free. Don't know how true it is. I've only read that in two places. But I, and I wasn't there, contrary to what some of you might believe. But my brothers and sisters... Think about this. So when, when I see this, and what really, what really makes me think about this, and I'm, this is Tony's opinion. I'm, I'm telling you, I haven't... I give him a white stone, and on the stone a new name written, which no one knows except him who receives it. You know what I really believe that means? I believe that he's going to give me a stone, and whatever's inscribed on that stone is something that completes this whole thing that I've been this searching for all my life. 
this thing that, it's been him, don't get me wrong, I'm not trying, but this thing that is the final answer to all the questions that I've ever had, or it, it, it's just simply, how about this, this thing that I, I stumbled over, this thing that I strumble, struggled with, this thing that I kept giving to him. God, am I ever going to have totally victory over in, in this area? God, and I keep giving it to him, and he hands me that victory stone, or he hands me that name, that it, he hands me my new name, which coincides with his name. My brothers and sisters, this is an awesome, awesome thing. Whatever this is, it's going to be especially for me. Whatever this is, it's going to be especially for you. When you get it, if I were to get your stone and you were to get mine, I'd say, what is this? But when you get the stone, it's going to be an explosion, a spiritual explosion inside of your being. I believe it with everything that I am. Hallelujah. 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 What do we learn? My brothers and sisters, we cannot be a compromising church. We cannot be a compromising people. We cannot let the stumbling blocks that Balaam put out cause us to stumble. You can do this. You can yoke up with that. You, no, we cannot. Remember, I want you to all remember this and, and then we'll pray. Our life here on earth is a journey. It's not the destination. So stop trying to work so hard at making everything here as comfortable and as, as you can possibly make it. It's not supposed to be. Stop conforming to this world so that you and the others around you feel comfortable. It's time that we started to be a little bit uncomfortable in certain situations, thereby having people around us feel a little bit uncomfortable. And if that's not happening happening to you now, I'm telling you you're too comfortable. I'm telling you if there's people who don't feel uncomfortable around you, that's because you're too comfortable. My brothers and sisters, I'm not trying to cause you to be doubtful of, of where you are. Or, no, I'm saying us, all of us, our church, this congregation, but the church of Jesus Christ. Listen, he spoke to his churches. He spoke to that church these things and he said, you need to clean this up. Did he mean it for them? And then, But we can get away with it? Of course not. Of course not. So the first church, the first temple that I need to clean is, no, it's right here. I'm pointing to myself. I am a temple of the Holy Ghost. I'm a temple of God. So the first temple that I need to make sure is clean, it's not yoked up, it's not married to the world in anything, is right here. And then we love each other enough to make sure that this congregation is clean. Amen? Stand with me, please.